You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. You may be seated. Let me say good morning, everyone. My name is Mark Kirkendall, and I'm one of the leaders here at the White House uh, campus, and if you missed last week, you kind of missed a train wreck. Um, I dropped my notes. You missed that. That was great. Uh, I also got to coughing and couldn't stop, so a Clinton car loaded me up with cough drops up on my stand, I guess, this morning, so thanks, Clinton. Um, but hey, I'm glad you're here this morning, and I want to make you feel bad, and then I'll make you feel better. Um, I'm a little envious this morning, and I want you to join in my pain because our high school kids are leaving at 7 a.m. in the morning. Casey's here, so Casey's helping lead the trip. Adam McMahon, who's on his way from another trip. Uh, Jackie Hernandez, who's on her way back from a wedding. And Callie Yeager from the South Campus. Um, they're heading to Buena Vista, Colorado. And so you woke up this morning and it was about 74 degrees. The high there today is 71. And so they're going to be getting to enjoy weather in the low 40s up into the upper 70s. They're going to have beautiful weather to go whitewater rafting, rock climbing, rappelling, uh, hiking. They're going to have an incredible time of being in God's creation, spending time around a campfire. Uh, so be praying for that group. Uh, they'll leave early in the morning and then they will be back late Saturday night into early Sunday morning. Uh, so this morning, we are in our final message of our Second Timothy uh, series. And what we're going to see this morning is some of the saddest, but at the same time, some of the most hopeful words we have in the New Testament. Um, they're going to be the last recorded words we have of the Apostle Paul. He might have written other things, but we don't know it. This is what we have as his last recorded words. And what has happened is Paul is coming to the end of the course that God laid out for him to run. And he knows he's coming to the end of it. In fact, the time of his conversion on Damascus Road, if you go back and read that account, everything about Paul's life has been given over to God. His health, he gives that over. His passions, his mind, even his body, his reputation, the relationships, his dreams, all that God has given him, he gives it back to the service of the gospel going further and further. Well, now you have this great pillar of the faith sitting in a Roman dungeon, Surrounded by four walls, a small hole in the ceiling to let air in. And here he is, not expecting to get free. He knows this is going to be it. In fact, he may be days, if not weeks, away from the time that he will be beheaded for the cause of Christ. So this morning, I want us to see these final words. If On your Bibles or in your device, if you go to 2 Timothy, find chapter 4, and we're going to be beginning at verse 9. And as you're turning there, I don't know if you've ever been with someone kind of during their last moments here on earth. It's, it's really a unique time. It, it, sometimes it can be bizarre. Sometimes it's very beautiful. And I've had the privilege 
And every experience and the emotions you see, they've all been different. I've watched a family gather around a grandfather and a father and the family hold hands and to sing songs watching that man that they loved go and be with the Lord. I've watched a family gather around a a dying child crying out to God to heal them, even up until the last moments of breath here on earth. I've stood in the shadows and I watched a young father stroke the hair of his wife and just tell her how much he loved her and how he would do the very best he could to raise their children. I've watched a family gather around an aging mother and a grandmother and a great-grandmother telling her, Nana, it's okay. Go and see Jesus. I once sat with a man who was very lonely, and he talked about all the regrets that he had. He talked about all the things that he wished he'd done differently. And what I've seen is this spectrum of emotions and things that are on people's minds when they know this is really it, that they're coming to the end of their life. Well, today is Paul's final words. And you're going to get to see what's on Paul's mind. In fact, it's really two things. Paul's going to talk about Jesus, and he's going to talk about people. So this morning, Paul will write to Timothy, and this is what he's going to talk about from these last verses. Paul is going to talk about tough friends. For tough times. And that's what Paul's going to talk about. He's going to talk about Jesus. And he's going to talk about tough friends for tough times. And so let's begin this morning in verse 9. He's writing to Timothy and he says, Do your best to come to me soon. So Paul is going to ask Timothy to, to come and see him as quick as he can. And Paul knows that where Timothy is in Ephesus is probably about a four to six month journey. Back in that time, he knew, you need to leave now. I don't know how much longer I have, but, you know, as I tell the baseball team, get on your horse, come quickly. But here's what I want you to notice about what Paul is going to say. Two things. Once, I want you to see that Paul understands the importance of friends especially the importance of friends during tough times. In fact, in 2 Corinthians, in chapter 7, Paul is there and God sends Titus to to him, to encourage him. And Paul says this, he says, It isn't the things that brought me encouragement. It was Titus. That he was strengthened by that relationship. In Philippians chapter 2, a a man comes to Paul, Ephrodites, and he says he was encouraged by being with him. So Paul knows the importance of friends, especially during tough times. But also notice, here is strong Paul. Paul's not afraid to ask for help. He says, come to me, come and see me. And I know it's hard for us to ask for help. No one likes to do that. It makes us seem weak or whatever we might portray in our head. But Paul knows the importance of friends, but he's not afraid to ask for help. So what we're going to see now is Paul is going to go through a list of people that he's kind of been thinking about that are on his mind as he knows his time is coming to a close. And this first one, 
is a very sad one to hear about. And you see it in verse 10. His name is Demas. It says, for Demas, like you remember him, Timothy? He says, in love with this present world, he's deserted me and he's gone to Thessalonica. Well, so who is Demas? Well, if you read back through the scriptures, Demas was a friend and a, you might call it a co-laborer with Paul. In fact, you see him when Paul's in prison in Rome for the very first time, there's Demas. When Paul writes to Philemon, that small book in the back of our Bibles, he mentions Demas. Even in the book of Colossians, we read about Demas is there, that he's this co-laborer. He is working with Paul. And so Demas started off strong. He was right there from the beginning. And he began his race really well. But Paul says that the love and the passions of the world slowly begin to draw him away. That he came to care more about his own convenience and his safety. The Demas took his own interest over that of the cross. And the passions of this world slowly begin pulling Demas away. And I believe Paul is deeply hurt by what has happened in Demas' life. In fact, he uses that word that he deserted me. You know, we see that even today, that sometimes friends, even those that vow and vow their friendship and their dedication, they're going to disappoint you, they're going to hurt you, and they might even desert you. In fact, I think oftentimes our deepest hurts come from people that we love and trust. So Paul's now going to move from Demas, that one that he regrets, that he watches the world take hold of. But then he's got some other names in his mind. He's got three people that have proven to be tough friends. The first one he mentions is Crescens. He says, listen, he's gone to Galatia. God has called him to do something there. Titus is in Dalmatia, that God is doing something, and, and Titus is being called there. But then he says, but there remains one. In verse 11, you see his name. He says, Luke alone. Luke alone is with me. So here you have dependable Doc Luke. You read about him in the Gospels, that he was here with Paul during these tough times. Luke was with Paul. Do you notice from the very first imprisonment, you know who's there? Luke. And who do you find with him all the way in the end? Luke. So Luke is there and he's caring for Paul. His aging body, his war-beaten self, Luke's there to help. Luke might have even been the one writing the words that you're reading for Paul. When others are leaving him, Luke is a tough friend that says, listen, Paul, I am not going anywhere. So he has Luke, he is by his side, and he knows, and I believe Paul cherishes that commitment. So Paul's going to ask Timothy now, hey, would you bring me some things? So he writes home, hey, remember, would you bring me some things? But the first thing he's going to mention is not an item. It's actually a person. So he says, Luke alone is with me. In fact, he's the only one here. But would you do something? Would you go get Mark? Would you go get John Mark and bring him with you? For he is very useful to me for ministry. 
And on the surface, that sounds okay. That sounds very normal, but it's really very surprising. So Mark is also known as John Mark in the Gospel of Mark. That's the author. And notice what Paul says about him. He says, he is very helpful to me for ministry. But that's not always been the case. If you remember John Mark, and here's what's unique about him. He grew up with a front seat to the gospel. In fact, John Mark, it was his house that began the center of the Jerusalem church. It was in his home that Peter in Acts 1 came when the angel delivered him from prison. He goes to John Mark's house. John Mark knew the disciples since he was a little boy that you watched them come and go and they would have secret meetings in your house. He even went with Paul on his very first missionary journey. But for some unknown reason, he leaves Paul. He leaves Paul in a place and he goes home. Some time passes and Barnabas, who's actually John Mark's cousin, says, hey Paul, let's, let's bring John Mark. And Paul will have nothing to do with him. He says, uh-uh, he left me once. I'm not letting that happen again. But now we see in this statement, in Paul's greatest time of need, notice who he calls for. He calls for John Mark. He wants him to be with him. And this is what I love about the example of John Mark, is that John Mark, he, he didn't get everything right. In fact, he made some major mistakes. Even with all the advantages of growing up in a Christian home, having the influence of the disciples in his life, watching the gospel unfold, he still made mistakes. But as Paul is sitting there waiting upon his death, John Mark is the one that he asked for. Paul is asking for him, and he says, because he is now a great use again for the gospel. Meaning, man, sometimes you might start off well, and man, you might derail. There's always a way to come back. And I believe that's John Mark. So Paul asks for him, would you bring John Mark back? Would you bring him here with you? But then he's going to ask for three things. You know, think about in your life, what would be the things you're sitting in prison? What would you want for someone to bring to you? Maybe a file that you can get out of prison or your iPad, something like that. Notice what Paul asked for. It, to me, it, it's actually really sad because, first of all, let me show you what it is. It's in verse 12. He also says this. He says, so, Tychus, uh, I've sent him to Ephesus. And when you come, notice what he asked for. Bring the cloak or my one coat that I left in Carpus at Troas. Also the books. And above all, if you can only bring one thing, the parchments. This is what happened. It's getting colder in Rome. This pillar of the faith that's given all that he has for the gospel. And here you find him in this prison without even a coat to keep him warm. And that's all he asked for. Would you bring my coat? And I think that's kind of what the gospel of Jesus Christ does, it really rearranges your priorities. Because I think Paul would say this, as hard as my life has been since I met Jesus, or actually he met me on the road to Damascus, 
as hard as it's been, through all the shipwrecks, the beatings, the torture that I went through, Paul would say, it's all been worth it. And if only I had a coat to keep me warm in these last moments, that's all I need. And then he says, would you bring the books? Probably some things he'd written down over the years, but the parchments. And that would be the copies of what Paul had in his possession of the Old Testament Scriptures. And that's all Paul wants. Bring me a coat that could keep me warm as my body's getting older, my bones are aching, my books that I can go back through my writings. But most of all, if you can only bring this one thing, would you bring me the Scriptures? So that in my last days that I could be found reading and find encouragement from those things. And Paul says, that's all that I need. But now Paul's going to give a quick warning to say, hey, Timothy, as you come in, don't forget this in verse 14. He says, Alexander, the coppersmith, will be easy to find. He's the one guy, that's what he does. He did great harm to me. The Lord will repay him according to of his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. So Alexander's this man that stands against the message of the gospel. In fact, he could have been the one that turned Paul into the authorities. He says, be careful. He might try to befriend you, but don't trust him. But what's interesting is in verse 14, what he says at the end of that verse. Paul doesn't even want to seek revenge. He will trust the Lord to deal with it. Man, isn't that difficult? And when someone harms us, that we want to get even, Paul says, but I'll let the Lord deal with it. But then Paul will share, I think, in this book is the saddest news that we have. In verse 16, it says this. At my first defense, so when you were brought before the Roman council, it was, I guess, kind of their grand jury where the case would be presented against you, and you would then get to make an answer for the charges. And he says, at the first action, my first defense, notice what it says, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. So Paul is standing there, defending the gospel, giving his life to it, and Paul is standing there all alone. No one came to vouch for him. No one came to speak on his behalf. And I'm thinking how easy it would have been for Paul to become angry and bitter in that moment. To think about all the good things he had done for other people. All the sacrifices that he had done to help, to encourage, and to serve other people. And how he could simply say, in my time of need, no one came to lend a hand or even a voice. But notice... What Paul does, he doesn't become bitter. He says, may it not be charged against them. Paul doesn't even want those who didn't come to his aid to have to be, for that to be held against them. So how does Paul not become angry? I mean, that's what I've been wrestling with. Paul, how did you get to the place? You're sitting here alone. You're cold. You've given everything to the gospel. You have given so much to so many people. How do you not become bitter when you're standing there alone and no one would speak up for you? Well, we find that in verse 17. So you go from the saddest, I believe, to the most 
hope-filled verses we have. In verse 17 it says, But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through the message might be fully proclaimed, and to all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Doesn't that give you an image of the Old Testament in Daniel? The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into His heavenly home. To Him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Do you know what Paul does? He goes to his memory. He was thinking back. He remembers God's deliverance and faithfulness in his life. When all others failed him, he knows that he could always count on Jesus. So let me remind you, let me paint the picture about what Paul is talking about in verse 17 when he says that by the Lord, he stood by me. It's about five years earlier. Paul is returning to Jerusalem after taking the gospel to the Gentiles. Paul is on cloud nine. He is so filled with hope And he's got such high expectations of bringing these Gentile brothers to Jerusalem, sharing how the gospel is going to the world. In fact, he knows he has to be careful. So he brings these Gentile brothers and he takes them through the seven-day purification process. And Paul even pays out of his own pocket. They go through the seven days. And at the end of that time, Paul enters the temple, and I believe he is full of excitement to share the good news and his hopes unravel. When some visiting Jews see what he is doing, and they grabbed Paul, and they begin shouting this in Acts 21. Men of Israel, help us. This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against our people and against our laws in this He has even brought Greeks into our holy temple. And the results, they're catastrophic. In fact, the whole city begins in an uproar. And they seize Paul. They drag him from the temple. And while they're beating him, trying to kill him, a Roman commander sees it and goes to his aid. As they're carrying Paul away, he does something that's truly amazing. Right as they're about to carry him away, He asked if he could say something. He turns around to the angry crowd and he begins to tell them how he came to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. But when he mentions that it went to the Gentiles, the crowd goes berserk. In fact, he only escapes being beaten a second time to death when they realize that he is a Roman naturally born citizen. The next day, the Roman commander arranges for Paul to speak before the Sanhedrin. Like Maybe they'll give him the time of day. Maybe they'll, they'll see that this guy isn't all that bad. So here's Paul standing before the Sanhedrin. He is bruised, bloody, swollen face. And he looks him straight in the eye. And this is what he says. My brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this When they heard this, the high priest took him and they had him beaten in the mouth, it says, over 
and over and over again. In fact, the beating became so bad that the Roman commander had to take his troops and take Paul away. I believe that is one of the darkest moments in Paul's life. He was so filled with hope of the gospel going to the world, he comes back to tell his own brothers and sisters. And that's where he ends up. So you find him sitting here. His dreams of taking the gospel all the way to Rome, man, they're looking like it'll never happen. His high hopes of seeing his Jewish brothers excited about the gospel, being received by the Gentile, gone up in smoke. And here he sits alone in this tower, bloodied, black and blue, and rejected. You know what Paul needs? He needs a tough friend during a tough time. And you read exactly what happens in Acts 23, verse 11. On that night, it says, The following night, notice who is there. The Lord stood by him, and he said, Take courage. And as for you, have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem. So you must testify also in Rome that the Lord Jesus Christ came that night and stood beside him. But don't lose what happens when he came. Not only does Jesus come and stand by him, during that tough time, Jesus says two words. It's really one in the Greek. It says, take courage. I just imagine, oh, how Paul's soul must have jumped in that moment. I believe at that moment there wasn't anything that Paul wasn't willing to do for Jesus Christ. When he stood beside him that night, when no one else did, and said, take courage. So now Paul sits in this Roman dungeon five years later, not expecting to be acquitted, but expecting death. And he looks death straight in the face. And I want to read those words again. He looks death in the face, and I believe he roars with all confidence. He says, death, my Lord, will rescue me from every evil attack and bring me safely to his heavenly home. I think he looks and says, death, bring your A game. But you've got nothing on my friend Jesus. And in those moments, Paul says, Jesus is not just a tough friend. He's the toughest. So then Paul gives the final greeting. He's thinking back over these years. And in verse 19 he says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, the household of Anephorus. Eratus remained at Corinth. And I left Tromepheus, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you. And so does Prodens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. So Paul thinks back over several tough friends that he had in his life. He remembers those that served alongside him in Corinth and in Ephesus and now even in Rome. And I think Paul ends his letter by being thankful for tough friends in tough times. So what we see is Paul really has two things on his mind as his life comes to an end. It's Jesus and it's people. 
But here's what I want you to take away from today. That Paul knew and believed in the importance of friends, and he wasn't afraid to ask for help. That we all need friends for tough times. And I know some of you are sitting right here right now, and you know that's true. You are in a tough time. But we also need to be friends to those that are in those tough times. Not only do we need tough friends, we need to be that. And I hope we are praying this morning. I hope that this church is always a place where people from different walks of life, different backgrounds, no matter what it might be, that they can come and in this place find tough friends for tough times. But even more importantly, we need the toughest friend that there is. One of my toughest friends, in fact, it is my toughest friend on this, wor- this earth, um, is absolutely uh, my best friend, Marla. So on Monday, uh, we celebrated 24 years of marriage. And by God's grace, we are there. And this is what I told her this past week. I said, and I told our kids, marriage hasn't always been easy, but it's always been worth it. In fact, we're praying this morning and just thinking about those that June's a big marriage month and the Hudson's how many years this past month? 40. Uh, the Canes, how many this past like week? 35. The Keels, 44. I mean, I'm so thankful for these marriages, but I know that's not everyone's story. So I'm thankful for those moments we can look. And I think they would all say, it's not always been easy, but it's always been worth it. But by God's grace, I know there have been times where Marla needed a tough friend. And by God's grace, I was able to do that. And in my life, I would say there were some times, some ugly moments in my, my life when I have been so weak that I would be ashamed for you to have seen me in that place. But there she was, a tough friend for a tough time. But I know in 24 years, there have been times where I could not be loved. And there have been times where as hard as she tried, she could not. So it is in those moments, it is in those times, that we need an even tougher friend, the toughest friend. And his name's Jesus. So Paul saw that toughest friend in Acts 23, standing beside him. And then we see Paul leaning again on that toughest friend at the conclusion of 2 Timothy. But notice, Jesus looked right at Paul. And remember those two words? He said, take courage. Jesus is the only one in the New Testament that ever uses those words. They're unique to him. In fact, five times we'll see this in Matthew chapter 9. You remember the bedridden paralytic? Jesus looks at him and you know what he says? Take courage. To the woman who suffered hemorrhages for 12 years. You know what Jesus said to her? Take courage. To those disciples that are scared out of their minds on the Sea of Galilee. You know what he looks at them and he says? Take courage. After his resurrection in an upper room where they're hiding. That's what Jesus says to them. Take courage. And in that Jerusalem prison where Paul was being held, Jesus was there and he said, take courage. 
And these words are unique to Jesus. And I hope you can hear them, saying them to you this morning. So to that single mom that's trying with all of her might, your toughest friend is saying, take courage. To that couple that is in a such difficult season of marriage, your toughest friend is saying, take courage. To that college student or young adult trying to figure out the next stage of your life, your toughest friend is saying, take courage. To the teenager struggling to find their identity and a place in this world, your toughest friend is saying, take courage. So to you and me, no matter where you are or whatever you might be going through, hear Jesus say, I am with you no matter what. Take courage. We all need tough friends for tough times. I know I do. And we need to be those tough friends for tough times. But I hope you know the toughest friend there is, Jesus. Because there will be things that no matter how hard people try, there will be things that no one on this earth can see you from. But there is nothing that Jesus Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.